fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology. We make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Great to be here, Dan. I love, as you know, movies like this that are just fun, exciting, and finding buried treasure. Um, I tried many times as a child. Apparently, nobody buried treasure near my house in Connecticut, um, <laughs> despite the maps I drew of the treasure and where it would be. So there right. you go. But it's, it's a lot of fun to do these movies. I think so too. I love the fact that you. I can see you digging around a little, little Denon digging around his yard with a little shovel, uh, his little sand <laughs> shovel. You know, we've all we've all been there. Uh, but there's one piece of buried treasure that luckily we discovered and we made him a part of our group, and that's our enigmatic engineer Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Well, Dan, this week I found myself in quite a fortuitous situation. I was exploring some sea caves and seemed to have stumbled upon some very old wooden ships. They're well hidden, so I'm thinking there's going to be some serious treasure on board. I love it. Now, remember, you got to split that three ways because we did send you up there, Ben. So, you know, don't get, <laughs> don't get too handsy. we got to, you know, we got to get our cut. Get know, maybe beak there wet. isn't any treasure on board then, Dan. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> on second thought. Yes, yeah, a closer analysis. Uh, well, you know, we're t- on closer analysis of our conversation, we're talking about Uncharted, which... You know, I had I haven't played the video games. I didn't have an extreme interest to see this. You know, I saw it as I was surfing around, and holy cow, uh, I would have been sorely disappointed if I hadn't seen it. As you mentioned, Denon, this is such a fun movie. I, I have to say, this is where you know, as the master of film and television, I always give my thoughts on a movie, and it's valid because I have a silly degree. But I will say, <laughs> I looked at Rotten Tomatoes, which is not a site that is always in line with my particular tastes. And the critic score was extremely low. The audience score was extremely high. And I think that this movie is exactly the difference. Critics may not like it, but this is such a fun ride that unless you're allergic to fun, you're not going to enjoy yourself. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it is It is such a fun ride. And what I like, um, th- there is a moment where they really do some really cool stuff about bad guys and avoid certain tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to save that. It is a spoiler for the film, okay. which is kind of irrelevant because this whole episode is a spoiler for the film. It might be. It <laughs> right. might be. Yeah. But I, I want to save that to a little later, let people savor that thought. Um, but I just felt it did a bunch of things really well. And mm-hmm. I, I, I actually really enjoyed the acting, which I usually don't like pay attention to. Um which is an odd thing to say about films because it is mostly the acting. Uh, and so, but I just had a lot of fun. Yeah, I think this movie is just a great example of like the modern adventure scavenger hunt. You know, you got great gold, mm-hmm. you got funny quips, and you got a fun, you know, you got all this great scenery. You go to the, you know, you go to these beautiful tropical islands, you go to the crazy catacombs of old European cities. You know, it's just a fun romp. Uh, and I, I love it. <laughs> it is a romp. You are exactly right. It, 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 and I have to say, you mentioned the quips. There are lines in this movie that I rewound four or five times because they're so beautifully delivered. Marky Mark. Oh, my God. The guy. He's really good in this movie. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about what they're, what, what's the meat of this movie. And that's the Magellan Expedition, which I didn't know a lot about. But it took place in 1520. 
And, you know, that's 500 years ago. And this was such a different time for exploring, right? Because at this particular period, people are just starting to go, well, from Europe, just starting to go into the into our oceans and explore the world, which is interesting when you think about it, because this is the same mentality we have about space. There's so much about space we don't know. It's uncharted. You know, we don't think that there are sea monsters, all Although, watch our last episode on Nope, and maybe there are monsters in our atmosphere. Uh, but this was a time of discovery where things were new, and you could hide something without it ever being found. But nowadays, I mean, every corner of the map is infested with human beings, uh, so you can't really hide anything, and things that were hidden back then can no longer be hidden, which is why stories like this, to me, are so interesting to analyze. I don't know. What do you think, Denon? Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I have to admit, I was one of those kids who, when we first studied the explorers, because in New England, um, you know, the explorers and the colonies were like a large chunk of what you did in American history over and over. Um, I have to admit, I love the explorers. I love memorizing who did what first. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do, in retrospect, love the fact that we called it um, discovering things first when there were usually people there already. Um, the irony <laughs> right. of that is, yeah. you know, interesting. Um, uh -huh. and, and also the irony of, like, as they pointed out multiple times in the movie, Magellan gets credit for being the first to circumnavigate the word world despite dying on the actual trip. Um, <laughs> right. You know, so yeah. it would be like saying Columbus was the first to make it to the New World, but he died halfway there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, yeah, as long as you threw his body out first, technically, yeah, technically he's he there first. I mean, um, yeah, those definitions are important. But but this idea of hidden versus lost, I I, I agree with you, though. I, I am fascinated by the things we still manage to discover. You know, mm -hmm. yes, we mm -hmm. are pretty much everywhere. Um, but but at the same time, jungles still are pretty good at hiding some things. You know, it it's shockingly, you know, recent that we still find things in the jungle. Um, mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. a coastal cave on an island, maybe not so much. Um, but... Right. You know, it, it is it is an interesting balancing act. And and I agree with you. They probably felt hidden, great, done. No one's ever going to find it. So Well, and there are lots of, you know, there are people on this planet who are in those jungles yes. who have never encountered the modern world or just very slightly. I mean, yeah. so there are people, human beings living on this planet who aren't aware of all the stuff that has happened around them, which is a real man out of time type of situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating that these tribes exist and that we're, we've managed to keep them isolated. It's a real testament to our uh, agreement uh, in international ways that th we've allowed some of these uh, cultures to stay untouched and unchanged by the modern world. And I imagine in those cultures, there are people who have come across something very valuable and hidden and buried it and hidden it. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, there's a possibility that treasure still exists out there. Uh, but one of the things before we get into the international scavenger hunt that is, you know, uh, that is this movie, I want to talk about something that we see. It's a trope in movies, but we see it a lot in the beginning of this movie. And that's the pickpocket. This is a you know big thing in Europe as well. No slight on Europe, it's just it's what goes on there. Uh, but you see, you know, people you know, you bump into someone, and all of a sudden they've got your keys or your watch or your wallet. You know, this always seemed to be a little ridiculous, and I never really believed it. But then I started looking at YouTube. <laughs> I got a couple of cool videos. You know, YouTube <laughs> explains all, right? And right. <laughs> I got a couple of videos. I'm going to put them up on the website. But pickpocketing with a little bit of fast talking, it's kind of easy, almost too easy. 
very scary easy. Not not aliens in our atmosphere scary, but still, you know, you might lose your wallet. Well, Dan, apparently we were channeling each other, though. I did this a little while ago before you, um, you know, mentioned watching Uncharted. Uh, mm-hmm. I am addicted to YouTube at night because I discovered I can watch it on my TV. Um, I can't watch anything on my phone or a small device. Um, and it's become, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And I went on a, you know brief sort of sleight of hand pickpocket YouTube binge and watched one of these, you know, pickpocket magician expert analyzes scenes in movies, right? And right, the yeah. Uncharted scenes <laughs> made it. Um, really? Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. But I also like you when you think about like stealing someone's watch or bracelet, um, one of the things that fascinated me is how important it is the way the clasp works, right? Like that yes. can make a big difference to <laughs> how easy or hard it is. <laughs> And, and, you know, that's how you target things a lot. So, but also just the whole, how easy we are as humans to be distracted. Um, yeah. You know, to make a quick reference to the movie Up, you know, they make a joke about the dog going squirrel, you know, and constantly <laughs> being distracted. I, I, I think humans may compete with dogs for our distractibility. <laughs> this is true. I will say, though, the important thing for the magician is not what the clasp is, but just that they know what it is. Yes. Um, there's very few clasps that a magician can't handle. I've, I've met uh, the now late James Randi, and when I met him, you know, I was wearing a watch, and he, he stole it from me as, like, an example. <laughs> and it, wow. it's, it's amazing how quick it is. Like, you just, you, you just can't feel it because you're in the process of shaking a hand, and, you know, it only takes a second to manipulate those uh the mechanisms and get the watch off and if this was the 1520s having a watch might be something that people had but nowadays (laughs) i'm not sure that people have watches anymore so it's it's a that is a trick that i think that maybe not as useful but that the pickpocket stealing wallets stealing phones bumping into someone to distract them that actually works so my point is uh, it works. I don't know the physics. I don't know the technology behind it, but but that definitely works, and it's it's a fun part of this movie. Uh, but let's get into this. You know, we did a whole episode on Goonies, and in some ways, this is equal and opposite to that because Goonies is like a localized adventure going after something in a hometown. This is a scavenger hunt that goes across the world, so it's very similar, but also extraordinarily different. And, and I like that. That was that was a lot of fun for me. Um, and I think it, it definitely separates it from that episode. But the question we have to ask here, I think, is that if you have a bunch of gold or something very valuable and you want to hide it, what kind of safety method do you need? Do you need to put it inside a cave like the Goonies did and keep it hidden and then send out a map and you know maybe find it later? Or do you hide it someplace and build the infrastructure around a growing city that may or may not be there in four or 500 years? Two very different approaches, uh, but let's talk about that. Then you've got something serious to hide. You've been thinking about this since a child. Um, how would you go about creating a safety mechanism to keep this hidden from the world until you or someone you wanted to find to, to find it did find it? Well, you know, I think you just nailed the key point there, Dan. What is your goal? Who are you hiding it from? And who do you want to have find it? And mm-hmm. who do you trust? Right? Those mm-hmm. are the key elements. No one. And, well, that, <laughs> that could no be one, true. Um, in this case, you know, I have to admit, this is one of those key moments. You know how good I am at doing my research for these shows. And I know. A- after we prepped, I'm like, ooh, I'm a little concerned about this one, but I'm going to go rewatch and take some careful notes. And what I re- recalled in my rewatching, or relearned, or rediscovered, or discovered for the first time, who knows? Um, since <laughs> yeah, I what is a discovery? It. We're throwing that that definition exactly. all over the place right yeah. now. 
So, so basically, the original people were trying to hide from the backers in Spain that they found any gold. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to deceive the people who had paid them to go out and get the gold. This is the key point in my mind. I think they set up exactly the right system for the time period for deceiving their backers. First of all, they left the gold back in the Philippines, right? So that there's no mm-hmm. chance of the, the backers accidentally finding it, right? Like <laughs> right, trying right, to hide yeah. it on your ship and show up and say, oh, sorry, <laughs> we didn't find any gold. Not a good right. plan. Nope. Um, and to your point, I don't think they trusted each other, right? Mm-hmm. So you set up a system of mutual assured destruction or mutual assured trust, right? The only way to get mm-hmm. back there is for the two of you to cooperate. And we see that in some of the very cleverly designed mechanisms and traps. Um, and to your final point, Dan, I do think you're tr- you are trying to get back th- to it or within the lifetime of maybe your descent, your near descendants, children, right? Okay. So you're not right. that worried about changes to the city. So I think they designed okay. the perfect set of mechanisms for their particular situation. Hmm. Okay. Not too elaborate. You think that this is the perfect setup? Just the right amount of intrigue? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going with that, Dan. I'm committing to a perfect scenario. <laughs> Okay. What do you think, Ben? As our engineer, there's a lot of engineered stuff we're going to get into. Do you think that this was, as Denon says, the perfect situation? I think I think it was maybe done a little dramatically in in the <laughs> sense that uh, extravagantly maybe is the better way to put it. You know, mm-hmm. hiding a map in a giant you know salt uh, jar and uh, all you know that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that that part of it's a little bit less necessary. You know, all you really need is a map and like a safety deposit box, which I think they even had back then. Um, the the in real trick. Twenties. Where are you going to put a safety deposit box in the bank they of Switzerland? Banks. <laughs> this isn't Harry Potter. There aren't like goblins that you can keep it in for hundreds of years. What are you talking about? Is that well, true? You just have to keep it from your. You just have to keep it from the tax men, right? I mean, sure. It's not that. <laughs> I guess so. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it comes to the same thing in modern times, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, I think to Breaking Bad, right? When Walt hides his money in the desert and then stashes the, the coordinates on a lottery ticket, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of the same thing. Like, you, all you really need if if you want to get back to this stuff is recording the location in a reliable way. So that you and then stashing it in your shirt pocket or your attic or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. The real trick is this mutually assured loss system. So, you know, maybe you give half the coordinates to one person, half the coordinates to the other person. But mm-hmm. you still have the problem of how do you get it all back together? Um, right. Y- you know, I, I think I, it, it's it's kind of amazing that it was all able to be put back together because you, you got to think, uh, how did the different descendants of who got these things, you know, how did none of them manage to lose the secrets? Like, that's pretty impressive that it all managed to survive for 500 years. So you would hardly say that this is the perfect system. This is one that was prone to folly and prone to mistakes, prone to the winds of time. I, th- I think it, c- it comes down to if you want to work 500 years in the future, yeah, it's, it's pretty risky. If you want, like, your children to be able to get together and figure it out, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it's not so bad. Well, it's what I like about it. What's also the difficult part, right? They kind of hide everything in plain sight. The starting point is a church. 
Now we can, you, you can think that churches are going to be around forever, but there's lots of churches. There, there's been a lot of religions in the world that some have made it, some have not. So the, the, the chance of a church, you're really taking a gamble there, right? I think, because more than, it, it will either be there forever or it will be burned down in, within a century, <laughs> I think, right? I mean, I think you're really taking yeah. that risk. And they kind of win that battle. You know, it's a 500-year-old church. It's been there. And they've built the infrastructure in that. The thing that I think is a little off here, and which, yeah, I got to go against you here, Denny, which isn't perfect, is they they push a button that's readily available to any tourist. Tourists like to touch things. So the fact that this would is pushable and hasn't been pushed before, that I think is a flaw, right? I think if you're going to build this, I like, the, I like that they have the double crosses. We'll get to that in a second. So you have these keys, but the things that you have access to should not be easily accessible to the public even if you're 500 years ago, who, you know, there's always a behind the scenes at any church. You know this, Dennett, as our medieval Catholic, this is right around the time. You know, this is your religion, right? Um, at this particular time, there is a backstage, this place where the priests go or, yeah. you know, the, the clergy go. I think that might have been just a slight adjustment might have made this a little bit better. Well, I actually have less concern about the pushable button for one reason, Dan. So you push the okay. button and the little scene turns around. To yes. kind of clarify that you're in hell. It actually doesn't get you into anything. So if you don't have context, as the kid who's pushed the button, you just think, oh, it's like one of those interactive museums and cool things happen when I push buttons. You're not getting led to the treasure. So I'm less concerned about the pushing button situation. I am concerned about all the um, workers building the mechanisms behind the church to make the water come in and out. Um, that's mm-hmm. a lot of people you then have to kill or silence. Yeah. When I said this was the perfect plan, I was leaving out the challenge of building the mechanisms. Um, right. <laughs> so I do have to deduct points for that down the road. Execution, you know, has some challenging elements. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really concerned about it. You know, the button pushing is actually, I think, part of the perfection of the plan. It's, it's a fun thing to happen. If you do it by accident, it has no meaning. It just looks like a fun. It looks like you're trying to make church more fun, Dan. <laughs> yeah, but then that thing flips around, and your immediately immediate, th- immediate thought is, what's going on behind that Virgin Mary statue, right? Oh, Especially yeah, if you work there, and then you can, you know, I think you start raising suspicion, and the last thing you want to do is raise any suspicion at all. Oh, no, you're raising fun, Dan. You're Oh, look at this cool thing that flips in church. Church is boring. Now I have a button I can push, and fun things happen. <laughs> totally okay. distracts them. They, they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, You just and haven't spent all- enough time bored in church, Dan. <laughs> Oh, I yeah. <laughs> we also don't know for sure that this was developed for this map. Like this could mm. have been, you know, a church panic room or something else that <laughs> sure. was already built in or just, you know, maybe a, a secret room for some theatrics. You know, maybe the priest, you know, want to come out, you know, in a puff of smoke out come out of nowhere, uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it was a magic trick and they just repurposed it as a uh, way to hide the clues to this uh, treasure. Yeah, I, there's not a lot of, well, there is magic in church, but not that kind of magic. But I do think that that level of dramatic flair, uh, I like that. There's a lot going on here. Uh, but one of the things that I think is brilliant, you know, we started with a church, but the other little bit of serendipity here, guys, is that they built it in a city that was growing at the time, right? I mean, you know, I live in Los Angeles. One of the tricks is we had a subway system, we had public transportation, and then we tore it all out. And now we've got this gigantic city, you know, one of the largest cities in the world. And now we have to retrofit the city to build a subway. It's taken years. 
everyone sees what's going on. There's nothing <laughs> hidden about it, right? You know something's being put together. This is kind of, it, it was done the right way in that you kind of build it into the city as you're putting up a church, you're building it on the ground, you do it as it goes. Now, that's the proper way to do it, I think. That little bit of serendipity, I think, made all the difference in this movie. Well, I'm with you on that, Dan, and I think it goes to show that they're probably intending this for their children or grandchildren, right? They realize that they're not going to go back and get it. And if it was them going back to get it, you actually don't need to do all of this because they've, I mean, they're expert sailors. They probably do remember where they left the ships, right? It's not like burying treasure underground where things might shift and change or Mm -hmm. like that time long ago where I thought, oh, I know where my car is parked. It's next to the black car. Um, And then (laughs) you come back and that car's left, right? Like not a very useful yeah, not not a useful marking system. Um, sure. <laughs> so if you're building it, like you said, with the city, that allows you to not have to kill the workers. They just think they're building interesting waterworks. The two keys are 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 brilliant because that means you can build these things and safely know only the two people with the right crosses can get in. And nobody has to know what you're even building it for. Um, and to your point, it's likely to last at least to your grandkids. So this is where I, I really, like, doubled down on, on what a great plan this was. Well, I definitely like the crosses. I will say, you know, when, you, when you're building all these renovations, I, I wonder how much gold was left, right? You've got to build a church. You've got to build all the booby traps. You've got to hire the workers. You've got to kill the workers. You probably still have to kill them, Denon. I mean, there's no way around that, right? Uh, how much of this gold is left after that? that those are, this is expensive stuff back then. So that's really my question is how much of this gold is left? I mean, that's why I think they're hijacking stuff that was already happening because okay. they didn't they didn't bring gold. They if they brought any, I don't. Well, maybe they brought a little gold back, but I, I think they they were taking advantage of public works that were already happening, of church mm-hmm. systems that were already going to be built. You know, they retrofitted their cross keys in secretly, and then everything else was kind of already going to be there. I think that that's interesting. I mean, because. One of the cool things I like about this particular approach is this dual system, right? Essentially analog two-factor authentication, right? You got these two two crosses, you need them both, and you need two people to work together. Uh, I mean, the lives that, well, lives kind of depend on it. You know, if you if you knew what was going on, you just take the upper route and then you're you're probably pretty safe. Uh, but but I do I do like this because it requires you to work together. Again, it's mutually assured destruction. Lives are on the line, stakes are high. Um, and even if you don't like the person you're working with, you got to do it if you want the gold. Gold, money, it's a big motivator to really get this done. Oh, I agree. And I think the physical separation of the heaven and hell keys, but then also having to bring them back together and use them as two keys. That was another thing in rewatching yep. that I'd missed that subtlety of, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where the changing, I think, city did hurt some, right? That it was not easy. I mean, Sully had to actually trust at that point and drop his key through. I bet in the original design, there was an easier path back to your partner where you would right. work together. I, um I think this is where there's one point where they added something they may not have. The the drowning water added an urgency, um, but in fact, all you really needed was the two keys to be able to actually unlock um, the door. Like, that was the interesting thing, right? Like, the water was involved somehow, perhaps in the locking me- mechanism, but it wasn't like turning the second key drained the water. It unlocked the door that had triggered the water so you can go out through. Right. Um, so <laughs> from, still from, there. Yeah. Yeah. So from a 
from a sort of make two people work together point of view, it added urgency, but not that was the one piece I didn't think was necessary to their plan and probably added cost that maybe sure. to Ben's point, for some reason, a water system was being designed to do this and you had no choice but to like play along. Mm-hmm. Or, or the water thing is something that has come along since and there just happens to now be water where those doors are and there wasn't back then. <laughs> it is. I mean, that fountain, I mean, I don't know how long fountains were in Barcelona at that particular point and if any fountain is actually untouched for 500 years. I mean, that's the real yeah. key here because it's really the longevity. I think the only place the way that this plan falls down is the longevity of it. Um, but, you know, th- this is this is pretty interesting because you see lots of just a nightclub, right? Like you see lots of these places that are really important that are now being taken over and have this. I, I, I My point is, I didn't know that this was possible where you could have a 500 year old church or an infrastructure that is now a nightclub or a Papa John's. Right. Like there, well, there is this kind of <laughs> underlying theme of, you know, soiling the histor- your historic history uh, with all these modern corporations. But maybe that's just the, you know, the master of television coming through in me. Actually, Dan, I think <laughs> this is what makes this even more realistic than a lot of these other movies. And I okay. loved it. Right. I mean, there's a little luck involved. The Papa John's is the best part for me. Right. Like, what was it about that piece of ancient wall that they decided to preserve behind glass? Like, you're constantly right. making city uh, decisions as you renovate a city or change things. Like, which things do you save? Which things do you not? Um, and it was one of the things that at the time I did not think of, but, you know, sort of thinking back to things like the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, which are a similar sort of um, scavenger hunt. Right. Um, yeah. Nothing, none of those clues that were left by, you know, medieval societies had been Mm -hmm. destroyed, removed, or changed, right? Like, everything was as it was. The odds of that are basically zero, as this movie proves. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I do feel that that was one of the cool things Uncharted did, was say, look, we're going to acknowledge that there was a little luck that nothing was destroyed, Right. But we're going to also acknowledge that there was a high risk by showing you what was changed and what was built around it. I mean, it's also possible that there maybe were backups for some things and they just, you know, we just didn't get to see those or they skipped mm-hmm. over them. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to make a system like this, I would hope you put a little bit of backup here and there because, yeah, you know, for all you know, the somebody goes and steals the salt jar and now your whole thing falls apart. Right. Well, I mean, it did have a, a, a modern grate, a weather grate, like right above right yeah. above this 2000 year old Roman storehouse, which is. Yeah. Like, how were those not in a museum? Like if they if like they were basically visible from the street. Right. right. Yeah. Right. right now, we have to be a little careful. I'm, I'm going to call you on some details here. The, okay. the, the room with the door to the salt jars was visible mm-hmm. by the street, but the mm-hmm. salt jars were in that sealed room. Sure. Right. So yeah, they were not fair. visible from the street. But what I am concerned about is why those salt jars were not built to be as sturdy as a fascinating gadget gizmos <laughs> and gear-based technology mug. Great question. Um, because you open that door and they're immediately shattering. Um, now, I get it. There's an implication of age and all of that. But yeah. you know what? If you had stored them in our mugs, mm-hmm. I don't think they would have shattered at that last moment. Now, that being said, they clearly would have been stolen much earlier because the value <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> of the mugs is way greater than the value of those salt jars. Arguably the, yeah. arguably the value of gold at the time, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I think the important thing also to think about, though, is if, if you end up in a giant pile of salt like that, you're going to probably get pretty thirsty. 
Definitely. And so you yeah. need a fascinating gadgets, a water bottle to sate your thirst after getting so salty. <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, no one wants to get salty uh, at all. And we see a lot of people in this in this movie get salty uh, when they are getting double crossed. But one of the things here, guys, that I thought that makes this movie different than Goonies is what I liked in Goonies is that wh while they're on this adventure, you do see people who have tried this before. Right. The Goonies weren't the first people to do it. You see, you know, they come across Chester Copperpot, who I always get confused with Oswald Cobblepot, two very different mm -hmm. people. <laughs> uh, but Chester Copperpot, you know, he, he goofs up and gets, you know, crushed by by a giant boulder. We don't see that at all. Are we to believe that no one has even tried this expedition at all? Is that is that what we're saying here? Uh, I find that hard to believe because with any adventure, you know, someone's going after it. I mean, look at, you know, the, the Oak Island treasure that the Goonies is based off of. People have been digging on that location for, you know, 200 years. They haven't found anything, but they've been digging. So that was the one thing of all the things that I think maybe if, I'm, if I've got to, um, you know, this causing me to suspend disbelief, it's that no one else went on this journey before. Find it hard to believe. Well, that is the great mystery in this one, Dan, because it was clearly designed for either the kids or the grandkids. And mm -hmm. I don't know what happened historically that the crosses survived and the kids or grandkids didn't try it. They would right. – unless – I mean the only explanation here is a major family feud or families mm -hmm. feud, right, between the two mm -hmm. families. And, and no one even trusted anyone enough to get started. And then right. the information and everything was lost. And without knowing about, you know, some of the key elements in the journal – I don't know – People may have been trying, but just not trying anywhere close. Because what's cool are all the traps and everything are in Barcelona. Right. And the actual ships and gold are in the Philippines. So unlike right, yeah. the Goonies, you've kind of separated these two things. That's the best I can do for you, Dan. But I'm with okay. you. This is kind of yeah. how it lasted 500 years with no one trying. Despite my attempt to explain it, I right. think it remains a mystery. Well, I think there's the other plausible explanation is not so much family drama, but government drama. Perhaps, you know, the heat was still on mm -hmm. and these families realized, you know, the crown was still watching them for this oh, yeah. treasure to show up. And so they realized they couldn't go for it and just hoped someone else could eventually. I think that th there might be something to that. You know, um, and, and I like that the heat is on, right? These guys are, you know, they've they've pulled a fast one. You know, they this is this is a as we mentioned before the sleight of hand, the pickpocketing. This is pickpocketing on a massive scale, and then you're taking the gigantic wallet, aka a, a ship, and you're hiding it. Uh, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot at stake here, and when there's a lot at stake, you want to keep track of it all. You know, the map is the way that they've kind of done it. We see Magellan's map. It becomes a centerpiece of the movie. And they do this interesting thing, which I don't know if this has a lot of validity or not, but they take the old map and they, they overlay it with satellite imagery. Obviously, you know, we know what the world looks like now. Um, we know what they were trying to do back then. It should be pretty easy to line everything up. I know it's 500 years, but, you know, the Earth changes over millions of years, right? I mean, how much could possibly change in 500 years? I'm curious, Ben. I know you've been looking into this, uh, but is this a good way to maybe, if we stumble across an old map, to find that treasure without going through all the rigmarole? I mean, it's certainly the, the only way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a problem, right? Because it's not just that it's an old map, right? So, you know... Cartography, you know, 500 years ago is not as good as it was today. You had people, you know, they tried to survey things, but 
you know, especially a coastline like where these ships were hidden, uh, it's constantly changing with the tides and all this stuff. And unless the cartographer stayed there for, you know, days and days and days, weeks, perhaps even to really get all the measurements at the same point of the tide, um, at the same time of day, you know, all this stuff will affect, you know, the shape of the coastline and make it difficult to match up to a modern satellite image. And then you have the other problem that, you know, yeah, the plate tectonics aren't a big deal over 500 years, but coastal erosion sure is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen cliffs and all sorts of crazy things happen over, you know, just a few hundred years. And so it's pretty likely that uh, the coastline 500 years ago is substantially different than what it looks like today. Hmm. And and that would throw off the X marks your spot by quite a bit then, I'm guessing. It certainly could. And, you know, yeah. good. there's a good chance they didn't put the X in the right spot in the first place. <laughs> right. Well, X's aren't miles long, right? When you put yeah. it over, it's not the scale, I guess. Yeah. Right well, say it. what I like, though, about this is what Ben said earlier. Like, the key thing is just the coordinates of where you are, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. so than the map. And that's what I love about the actual final mechanism of the two crosses, you know, being used as a compass in the sense of drawing circles, right? You put the the red and the red and the blue and the blue, as he says, and you line them up and where they meet um, is a much more accurate coordinate mechanism. So what you're really doing is trying to come up with three coordinates that you know well, right? Two Mm -hmm. places to put the initial circles and mm-hmm. then the coordinate that forms when you when you put them together. So it's really an encoding, an analog. Dan, what we love mm-hmm. on this show, it's a love gear-based it. analog, mm-hmm. you know, encoding for right. the coordinates instead of just writing down the numbers. And so the rest of the map is a distraction. Who cares if the coastline is drawn right as right. long as you have the coordinate? Yeah. So that's what I love about that piece of this. Mm-hmm. The final kind of use of the two crosses was brilliant. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think the other interesting thing to think about is that some coordinates back then, it was very easy to get a correct latitude, right? The the horizontal lines on the globe, because you can Mm -hmm. do that with stars and stuff. It's very easy to Mm -hmm. figure out how high or low on the earth you are, but it's very difficult to figure out around the earth where you are. That was, you need precise timekeeping for that because there's no good, because the earth's rotating. Like it's hard to, it's hard to get that right. So at the very least, you should be able to give a latitude line <laughs> that the thing's on, and then then you can like walk the line and probably find it. <laughs> well, and if I understand things correctly, much like today, I think m- a lot of people believe that the Earth was flat back then. So those longitudinal lines are more straight than they are circular, if I'm remembering correctly, in the 1520s. Well, you know, Dad, that's one of those great myths of our times. Most Is that people not right? actually. Most people actually knew the Earth was round. It's amazing how much dumber we are now than we were then. Um, uh, are we, though, Denon? Maybe we're on to something. Maybe we're on to something. We are on to some things. But it, yeah. that was – that was. I have a long list of complaints I have from my K-6 through teachers about stuff they told me that just turned out to not be true. Um, and one is how many people believe the Earth was flat. Um, the ancient Greeks kind of solved that. Uh, anyone who sailed knew the Earth wasn't flat. The only real argument, interestingly enough, was how big was the Earth, right? Hmm, okay, um, right. that was the fun thing. And and the irony of life is Columbus had it wrong, which was the only reason he was willing to try and sail to India, um, oh. going that yeah. direction. 
Um, right. Everybody else was like, you're an idiot. You're never going to get there. You're going to starve. And he got really lucky that there was a lot of land in the way. <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and a land and that you couldn't the... get through. I mean, you had to yeah, go through it, right? I mean, there's... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're going to hit it. Yeah, there's no canal yet. You had to go around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. you, you you would have run into it eventually, <laughs> no yep, matter exactly. what. Yeah. So we did get lucky. Just real quickly, it's like my theory of driving in Southern California. You're going to hit a freeway eventually, right? <laughs> and then once you're on a freeway, you you can get home. Yeah, yeah. it's very true. Yeah, the interesting thing to me about Columbus is that he hit like the tiny little islands and not the main landmass. Like I don't understand how you find like the Bahamas in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Instead of just like, you know, plowing into North Carolina or something. <laughs> I mean, probably, I think he had, if I'm, if I'm doing my math here correctly, I think he had the same chance of striking the Bahamas as a meteorite has of striking your head when it falls from the sky, as we learned from our previous Nope episode. I think the numbers, they're pretty close. Yeah, I'm guessing by the time they got close, they followed some birds or something. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's probably how it happened. But it still seems wild to me that you can find those tiny islands and not the continent itself. Or to close the loop, they followed a sky jellyfish and yep, managed yeah. not to get eaten. <laughs> right. They followed something back to the islands. Um, but I think, you know, to follow us back to the beginning, I think we've kind of nailed down uh, the uncharted mystery um, because I think we could do this. Should we do it? I don't know. Is it the best course of action? Maybe. But I'm going to go with you, Den, and I think this is probably uh, the best thing that they could have done at the time. And at the very least, it's the coolest thing they could have done. There's yes. no <laughs> denying that. Uh, but if there is something you want to deny, um, this is the place to do it. This is our Airs, Editions, and Omissions section. Things you wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about this movie we didn't talk about you want to quickly mention? I got Emphasis on things. the quickly, by the way. I, I, I know. Three things. An exciting, uh, a satisfying, and an error. So Perfect. The, the exciting was watching my daughter watch this movie because she's played the video games and I haven't. So mm -hmm. when she laughed extra loud, I knew there was a reference to the video game. So that was cool. Um, number two <laughs> was the way the woman, I forgot her name, the bad guy's name, just takes out Anton, and, and I can't say his name, Banderas. Takes Antonio. out Banderas's Antonio, thank you. Yeah. Just takes out his character without thinking when she's done with him. I, I got great pleasure out of finally just killing someone as a bad guy instead of taunting them. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and then third, I really wonder where the big hole in the top of the cave came from so that we can airlift um, the, the, the boats out. I think they skipped the scene where they um, demolition that hole with a safety tarp over the ships and all the debris <laughs> comes down. So I, yeah. think, I think that scene's on the editing floor, I'm assuming. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think that that's right, and I you know I agree with you. I really like Antonio Banderas. Uh, that was a little disappointing, but I did like that he wasn't talked to death for for once. Uh, what about you, Ben? Anything we miss you want to talk about? You know, I, 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 going back to the airlift scene, uh, well, to the end of the airlift scene when you know the bad guy drops the anchor to like keep the ship from flying away. Why does he keep trying to fly forward? Like, <laughs> why doesn't you know? Why doesn't uh, he just say, "Hey"? Uh, the anchor got dropped, uh, level out. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll get this worked out. Makes no sense. But the other thing that I think was kind of funny is that the, the, the gold, right? Gold is really heavy. And I like that they kind of, they, they kind of showed it. They kind of didn't, but it's, it's important to remember that like that backpack of gold that Sully had, that would have weighed like hundred, 200, 300 pounds. Wow. And so that really would have done something to, uh, <laughs> toss it to the other, uh, to the bad guy. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. You would definitely, 
get knocked off of a of a boat rigging if you got that thrown at you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> she does take it into the dome, so we, it's yeah. more impressive he's able to carry it around. But yeah, you know, yeah, that also. <laughs> He, he's good at avoiding physical labor, which I thought was hilarious in this movie. He kind of <laughs> keeps his hands clean. Uh, I noticed a couple things here. You know, Denon, uh, Kimberly and I are probably laughing at the same spot uh, when we see Nolan North. Uh, he's on the be- He's on the, one of the beaches in one of the resorts they, that yeah. um, they come into off that gigantic cargo cube. He's the voice of Nathan in, in the Uncharted series. Yep, definitely the, that was a laugh. I imagine so, uh, definitely. Um, and it's I, I don't watch the... I, it's funny because, like, if I was sitting with Kimberly, I would have known that that was him, even though I don't know what he looks like. You know, because I, I, it, it's just it's one of those things where you know it's a cameo, but you're not exactly 100% sure who the cameo is. So I had to look it up. I'm not going to pretend I knew who it was, but I knew I could tell it was a cameo. Uh, and also, there's lots of sword fighting in this episode. And sword fighting is something um, that I know about because on Fascinating Nouns, I did a whole episode with the world's leading expert on sword fighting, Guy Windsor. So I'll put a link, you know, right here where I always do in the, uh, so you can go check it out. <laughs> um, but if you want to check out anything else that we do or you have something you want to talk about, we're easy to get a hold of. You can find the show on social media. We're on Twitter at FGGBTPod, Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you can find me just by flipping my name on Twitter or Instagram at Denon Michael. And then on Facebook, you're sticking a prof. It's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you have a question for us that you want us to answer, well, here's the email. Easy to remember because it's questions at FGGBT.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you rate, review, and are definitely subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. It is your duty to take what we say and to do good with it. No matter the situation, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a youtube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash daniel j glenn and once again if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening